Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Rio. Once again, good morning. Welcome to Community Christian Church. It's great to have you here. I trust that you're having a good summer so far. And please don't say summer is over. It's not. We have plenty of summer left. Another whole month. So please take advantage of it. Has it been good for you so far, though? It's been a great summer. Okay, as you just saw in the video a few moments ago, today I want to begin a brand new four-part series entitled Colossians. Colossians is one of 13 epistles or 13 books written by Paul the Apostle. And so during the month of August, as we've done in previous years, we're going to take a close look at this book, and by that I mean read every single verse. Now Colossae, the hometown of the Colossian church, was located in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. The letter was written right around 60 A.D. from a prison cell. That means the Colossians is one of the prison epistles, and there were four of them. Ephesians, Philippians, Philemon, and this one. Now, in order to fully understand the book of Colossians, you have to know a little something about Rome. Say that, Rome. R-O-M-E. Rome is a key to unlocking the big idea of this important epistle. Now, before Rome and since Rome... We have never seen anything like it. In other words, Rome was in a league all by itself. And during its heyday, at its pinnacle, Rome was 4,200 miles across. I'll say that again, 4,200 miles across. Can you comprehend that? Are you getting that? The United States of America from sea to shining sea, from uh, New York to L.A., 3,000 miles. The Roman Empire, 4,200 miles. And on top of that, if you include the Byzantine Empire, Rome ruled and reigned the known world 1,500 years. Last month, the great U.S. of A. turned 242 years old. Rome reigned for 1,500 years. And because of that longevity, Rome impacted and influenced the world more than you might think. You see, within the walls of the Roman Empire, Rome created what was called Pax Romana, which literally means Roman peace. And they, the Romans, did everything they possibly could, and they went to great lengths to secure and to enforce and maintain that peaceful order. Now, on the outskirts of Rome, beyond the 4,200 miles, oftentimes it was bloody and brutal and even barbaric. But within its walls, peace. And anyone who dared to violate or threaten that peace paid a huge price for it, oftentimes with their lives. And so the world BR, before Rome was very dark. But AR, after Rome, 
that all changed. And Rome was responsible for bringing great innovation and advancement to the world in many areas, in fact, in most areas, including roads and buildings and art and literature and food and culture, just to name a few. Now, as epic as Rome really was, as big and great and powerful as this empire was, Paul continued to tell the church, Rome is not the answer. Don't look to Rome to satisfy all of your needs. Don't put your trust in Rome. Only Jesus can do that. Jesus is the only one who can truly satisfy you. Jesus is the only one who can give you peace. Jesus is the only one who will reveal to you what your purpose in life is really all about. This is what Paul taught the church, especially those in Colossae, over and over again. Now, was he telling the truth? Here we are, some 2,000 years removed from the powerful, passionate preaching of Paul. And who's the real winner? Was it Rome or Jesus? Who won out in the end? Who displayed the most power? Well, consider this for just a minute. Rome flexed its muscles and displayed its power by crucifying anyone who violated or even threatened their systematic laws and philosophies. I'm going to tell you that again. Rome displayed its power by crucifying anyone who got in Rome's way. Jesus, on the other hand, he displayed his power by being crucified, by willingly going to the cross and laying down his life for the sins of the world. So they both, Jesus and Rome, used the cross and crucifixion to validate and enforce their own realities. So you tell me, which one today is of greater consequence? Hands down, the one you've been saying all along, it's Jesus. Jesus by far surpassed the fame of Rome or any other place on the face of the whole earth. And that means Paul was telling the truth. His passionate preaching was valid. When he said, Rome is not the answer, don't put your hope or your trust in Rome. In fact, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. That's the message of Paul. That's the power that he portrays and conveys to the people who lived uh, during this time. All right, let's read a couple of verses here in Colossians. In fact, we're going to read the whole chapter, the first chapter, 29 verses. So I'm going to ask you to just bear with me. It's going to take us a couple of minutes to get through it. And please don't uh, check out. Uh, listen to every word if you can, and you can follow along on the screen and try to have the Word of God wash over you. I, I know there's a lot of verses here, but let's just take them one at a time. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, 
by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Who is Paul writing to? To the faithful. He's writing to the devoted followers of Jesus Christ. He's passing this message on to believers just like you and me. He said, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and not only of your faith, but the love that you have for all the saints. The faith and the love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven, and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit, and it's growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all of its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and you may please him in every way. So Paul continued to pray nonstop for the believers in Colossae because what he wanted them to do was live a life worthy of the Lord and please God in every way. Additionally, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and he's brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. The New Living Translation says that he might be first in all things. Now I got to pause here for just a moment. And I want to remind you of one of the number one core values that we teach here at our church and that we've been talking to you about for the past 26 years, namely the G in the GRACE acronym. Anybody remember it? God deserves to be first. That's what it says here in this verse. That he might be first in all things. This is where we got that core value. You'll see it out in the lobby. It's hanging there on, a, on the wall. In fact, let me just go ahead and give you the whole acronym. G, God deserves to be first. 
R, relationships matter. A, we should all be involved in acts of service. C, we should have compassion for others. And E, everything belongs to God. These are the values that we teach. These are the values that we try to live out each and every day. And at the very top of the list is this Colossian instruction, which is God deserves to be first. And Jesus is a part of the Godhead. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So when we're putting God first, we're putting Jesus first. He deserves to be first in the morning when we wake up. He deserves to be first in the evening or whenever it is that you go to bed. And he deserves to be first all during the time of our waking hours. Jesus commands that kind of respect and priority from his people and with regard to relationships and career and income and activities and involvements and interests and education, it's first, 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 and first for him. Jesus is first in all things. And again, don't forget who Paul is talking to, who he's appealing to and writing to. The faithful believers in Christ, reminding them of the importance of these things, to put God first, because you know what happens? He starts to slip a little bit. Other things get in the way. And so he's appealing from the heart with passion. Don't forget, Jesus is supreme in all areas. All right, verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. In who? In Jesus. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. How many things? All things. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now... He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you've heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant and a prisoner. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so we proclaim him. Who's him? Jesus. We proclaim Jesus, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy which so powerfully works in me. A long chapter filled with so much significant truth and statements about Jesus. And I appeal to you, take some time this week 
and read and reread this chapter and just try to meditate on some of the verses and see how many times during chapter one Paul calls our attention to something that Jesus did for us or something that Jesus has made available to us. And so if I give you the assignment to read this chapter, that means you're going to have double duty this week because, of course, I'm going to encourage you to read chapter two in preparation for next week. So not right now, but later on today or this week sometime, do yourself a favor and read the richness of God's word. If you're looking for somewhere to go this week in, in your Bible reading time or your devotion time, choose Colossians. We're going to be talking about it the whole month of August. All right, please look again at Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Here's what Paul said. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Okay. Just before we make our way to the communion table, I want to ask you a question. How many of you really want to know God? I mean, you've made that a desire of yours to know who God is, to know what God is all about, to know what makes God tick. I believe, those of you who raised your hand, I believe you with all my heart. I believe that you wanting to have knowledge of God is something that you strive after. It's something that you desire. But you know, I'm a little perplexed sometimes because I talk to people and they tell me, and now we're talking about good Christian believers, people that have been saved and been serving the Lord for years and years. I, I talk to them, and they tell me they just don't know who God is. Sometimes God is a great mystery to them, and, and it seems like God is so far away, and they don't have any idea what the will of God is for their life, and they don't have any idea how God thinks or what makes him tick or how he responds in certain situations. And yet this is our great desire. Paul himself said, uh, what I want more than anything else is to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. And so it's our desire to know God, and yet sometimes we don't know that we could answer the question of who God is. If we want to know who God is, if we have a deep desire to know how God works and how he thinks and how he acts, we can know that. We don't have to speculate or guess. We can find out as much as God chooses to reveal about himself simply by studying, looking, and focusing in on the person of Jesus Christ. I want to say that again. We can know all about God. We can know how God thinks and acts and responds by studying and focusing in on the person and ministry of Jesus Christ. Because Paul in Colossians 1.15, we just read it, he says Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Say that. 
Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now, when he wrote this verse out, Paul used the Greek word icon, E-I-K-O-N, for the English word image. It's where we get our English icon, I-C-O-N. It's the exact same Greek word that Jesus used when he grabbed a Roman coin and he held it up and he asked the people whose image is on this coin referring to Caesar. Now, most people alive in that day, they were not going to come into contact with Caesar. They were probably never going to meet him face to face or get to know him. But by looking at his inscription or his image on that coin, they could get a pretty good idea of what he looked like. That's the word that Paul used when he said Jesus is the image of the invisible God. God cannot be seen. God is invisible. He is hidden from our sight. But Jesus is the one who reveals to us who God is. Jesus is the one that we can look to and by his actions, his characteristics and attributes, we can actually know God. In fact, in John chapter 14 and verse 9, Jesus said, when you see me, you see the Father, because the Father and I are one. Uh, did you get that? Yes. He said, when you look at me, when you study me, when you watch the way that I've acted and the, and the way that I've ministered, you actually see the Father because we're one. We do the same things. Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus is the exact representation of God. Again, that's the word image. He's the exact image of God. In fact, he's the radiance of God's glory. And throughout his ministry, Jesus revealed to us the nature and the character of God. And because of Jesus, when you read through the Gospels and you study uh, how Jesus ministered, you find out that God is a merciful God. So automatically I can tell you God is a God of mercy. You might say, I don't know God to be a God of mercy. I'm gonna tell you, he's a God of mercy. And his mercies are new every morning. He never runs out of mercy. If you don't believe me, read the story of Levi, the tax collector. Here was a guy raised in a Jewish home, turned his back on God, and for years and years, he was stuck in the same place at his tax booth, which was known as the receipt of custom, the custom of Rome, sitting there doing the same thing over and over again, stuck in the same spot, stuck on himself, cheating people out of their hard-earned money for his own benefit. And the Bible says that the people hated and despised him. All tax collectors, they did. The religious leaders referred to tax collectors as the scum of the earth. And that was Levi, stuck in that realm. Until Jesus showed up one day. And Jesus said to Levi, aren't you tired of being in that same place? Aren't you tired of not being able to get moving or having any joy in your life, going through the same motions, treading water, why don't you follow me? Do you remember what happened? 
after years and years of being stuck in that tax booth, at Jesus' word, Levi gets up, he leaves everything behind, he doesn't care about anything, and he follows after Jesus. He gets saved, Jesus changes his name to Matthew, and he writes a gospel. Levi, changed to Matthew, writes one of the four gospels. Friends, that's mercy. And Jesus reveals to us the character of God to be a merciful God. Whatever you're facing in your life and you need mercy, I want you to know God is merciful. God will show you mercy because it's in his heart to be merciful. In addition to being a merciful God, just by following Jesus around for a couple of days, you also find out that God is a compassionate God. And the epitome of compassion can be seen at the grave site of Lazarus in John chapter 11. That chapter, when you read it carefully, it shows us this huge strategy and plan that Jesus had, and he executed it to perfection. Jesus did not go to Bethany after he heard that Lazarus was sick. He waited for Lazarus to die because he wanted to go there after Lazarus was dead and teach the people all about resurrection, life, and power. They needed that teaching. They needed to know that there was a resurrection because in those days, some people believed in the resurrection, some people didn't, just like today. Jesus went to Bethany with the plan in mind to teach the people about resurrection, life, and power. But when he got there and he saw how Lazarus' two sisters and all of the friends were grieving, Mary and Martha were grieving so badly, the Bible says he was moved with compassion and what? He wept bitterly. Understanding that God is a compassionate God reveals to us that he knows what we're going through. And he feels our pain. You know, when we're in pain, we don't think anyone else can relate to us. God can. He knows the heartache. He knows the heaviness that you're carrying. He knows the humiliation that you face at times. Because he is always with us. The scripture says he will not leave us or abandon us. In fact, David said it best in Psalm 34 when he says that God is near or close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those who are crushed in spirit. When you're going through a trial or you're facing a struggle or a difficulty and it just doesn't seem like God is anywhere to be found, please believe me when I say to you, he is nearby. Because the scripture says he is close to the brokenhearted. And again, just by watching Jesus, we know that God is a powerful God. He can calm the raging storm with just a word. He speaks to the wind and the waves. He commands them to be still. And guess what? They have to obey. Jesus shows us that God is relational. He cares about people. He's all about people. In fact, God continually goes after the least of these, those that everyone else forgets about and rejects, the outcasts, the lost sheep, the one who's alone, the one who's afraid. In fact, the scripture tells us on one occasion, Jesus 
was so relational and so committed to bringing encouragement to the lonely and to the hurting that he actually put his hand on a man who was completely covered with leprosy. Now, sometimes you might be ministering to someone at the altar or somewhere else, and and they're in bad shape. You kind of look for a place on their body where it might not be messed up too much. This guy was completely covered with leprosy from head to toe, and Jesus touched him because he cares about us, and he loves us. One more. Because of Jesus, we see that God is a forgiving God. He forgives us of all of our faults and failures, all of our mistakes and miscues. He forgives us of all of our sins. How else can you resolve the first words Jesus uttered after he was crucified and nailed to the cross? Forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. You see, these attributes and these characteristics that I just described to you that we see in the life and ministry of Jesus, they come right from the heart of God because Jesus is God personified. And in Colossians chapter 1, Paul is drawing our attention to Jesus. He's helping us as believers to see Jesus as he really is. And sometimes we have this idea, and we sang about him being Savior, and we raised our hands, and we say, what a Savior, but he's so much more than a Savior. In fact, in 1 in Colossians 1.15, Paul says he's the image of the invisible God. We just talked about that. The firstborn of all creation. Now that's a tricky little verse there because it seems like what Paul is saying is Jesus was the first person to ever be created. Like God was sitting around with the Holy Spirit one day and didn't have much to do. So he decided he was going to create a third divine being, call him Jesus, and he'll become the three musketeers. That didn't happen at all. Jesus was not created. He's not a part of the creative order, but rather he created all things. Himself, long before the incarnation, when Jesus humbled himself and became a man, he was alive and well. He has always been, and he will always be. And again, Paul draws us to that point. He gives it as as a description of Jesus, here in Colossians, the first chapter of Colossians, which is one of the most profound and powerful presentations of Jesus anywhere in the Bible. Because Paul wants believers to understand who Jesus is. Yes, he's our Savior, but he's also Lord. In fact, while we're on the subject of the Bible, check this out. The Bible was written in 66 installments, over a period of 1,600 years, in three different languages, on three different continents. It has more than 40 authors from all walks of life, writing under very diverse conditions, covering very controversial topics, yet it all fits together seamlessly without error or contradiction. And when you hold the Bible in your hand, you're holding one book that tells one story centered around one person, His name is Jesus Christ. His name is Jesus. Colossians is one of the most Christ-centered books in the Bible. 
And Colossians 1.8 tells us in everything Jesus has been given absolute supremacy. Supremacy not only means a place of authority, it has the added element of authority and dominion over all others. Jesus has been given the place of authority and dominion over all others. He is the exalted Christ. He is the sovereign Lord. He is the only one that is above everyone else. And in Philippians chapter 2, Paul said, that's the very reason why God has exalted Jesus to the highest place. Can you get in your mind that there's no place higher than the place where Jesus is at? He's given him a name above every name. Above every name. There's no name that could ever be possibly above the name of Jesus. And he goes on to say that one day every knee, not just your knee, every tongue, not just my tongue, but every knee shall bow and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's Lord. He's Lord over all the earth. He has that place of authority and dominion. Now, it's important to note as we bring this to a close that much of the false teaching that was taking place in Colossae, the very issues that Paul is attempting to address here in this book has to do with the minimizing of the lordship of Jesus Christ. You see, at this time, the novelty of the church had worn off a bit. And so people were living the Christian life, but they weren't real passionate about it. They were basically going through the motions, and it became part of a routine. And they knew Jesus as their Savior, and if you would have asked them, oh, they would say, oh, yes, I'm all about Jesus. Jesus is still my main man. But other interests and other activities were competing against their Christianity. And even though they desperately wanted to serve God, the pace of life became so fast that it kept pushing them further and further away from the Lordship of Jesus. You see, they were pulling from the benefits of Jesus. They loved the blessings that he had to offer and the grace of God that is so available to us. They loved the fact that he was a merciful God, a compassionate God that he was powerful, that he was relational, that he was a forgiving God. They loved all that about God and about the way that Jesus ministered and acted and lived. But it was the lordship of Jesus that they were having a little bit of trouble with. And so here in Colossians, to try to correct some of this error and this false doctrine, once again, Paul reminds the church, not the unbeliever, but the devoted, faithful believer. He reminds them that Jesus is supreme. He deserves to be in the highest place in your life and mine. And when you see him like that, when you see him a little bit above the God who takes care of your needs and meets uh, all of your prayer requests and, and, and goes to bat for you when you need him, if you can see him a little bit higher than that, that's how you're going to treat him. And so I appeal to you today to receive a revelation of Jesus like 
the one that Paul was attempting to give us here in Colossians chapter 1. Let's bow our heads and prepare for communion. Father, we thank you for this letter that Paul wrote from a prison cell. He tells us that he's become a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel message, but in addition to him becoming a servant, he's also a prisoner. And he didn't mind that. He said these struggles were for the benefit of the church so that he could continue to make known to us the mysteries of the gospel message, those things that have been hidden for ages and generations. But Lord, you're choosing to reveal them to us. And this morning, Lord God, as we've been praying all week, we're asking that you would give each one of us a revelation of Jesus. Remind us as the faithful the devoted brothers and sisters in Christ, those who love you with all of our hearts and have a desire to know you, remind us again that Jesus reigns supreme. He's the creator of all things. He's not the created one, but all things were created for him and by him. And I pray, Lord God, that during these last few moments and uh, during our communion time, you would move in a powerful way and that you would change situations, that you would reveal yourself as you really are, and that, Lord, we could acknowledge that you are Lord over all the earth. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. One of the verses that we read from Colossians chapter 1 tells us that he is the creator of all things, and we are one of his most glorious creations, you and me, the human race, in fact, in Psalm 8, David said, what is man that you're mindful of him or the sons of man that you even consider us? You made us a little, little lower than the angels and you crown us with honor and glory. This morning, I've challenged you to see Jesus as he really is, high upon his throne. It's, he, it's where he deserves to be. But you know, he's invited us to join him there. He hasn't told us that we can't come to be with him. He's made us more than conquerors. And so what I want you to do is I want you to see yourself receiving from the greatness of our God. And I'm going to ask you to just allow the Lord to minister to you in these moments. We have a creative dance for you. And so just sit back and, and let the Lord minister to you. What a beautiful dance. In the message of the song, I, I trust you were picking it up. The reason, the very reason that God created us was to worship him. And when you see him as God, when you know him as the God who loves us so much that he died for us and he was crucified for our sins, when you see him that way, then you can understand that he desires us to put our trust in him. Not to be filled with worry. Not to be filled with fear and anxiety and nervousness and stress and all the things that attempt to consume us today. Because we're all carrying heavy loads. We're all doing life together and there just seems to be a lot of problems in life. 
If you're not going through something yourself right now that is pretty difficult, you undoubtedly know someone who is. And God did not create us just to stand at a distance and understand that he is exalted above all else. He created us to draw us in so that we can put our trust in him. And I'm talking about Proverbs 3 kind of trust. Where you trust in the Lord with all your heart. You don't lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, you acknowledge him. And he'll direct your path. You know, if you want to know God, and many of you raised your hand and said you did, then what comes along with that is a determination to let God direct you. And I've learned, I've learned it the hard way, you can't possibly allow God to direct you if you keep holding on to the compass. You got to let it go. You got to let God take you where he's leading you. Because there's new ground to be gained. There's new lessons to learn. There's new power to be revealed. And so I'm going to challenge you as we bring this service to a close, especially those who might be carrying some pretty heavy things this morning, to lay them down. Lay them right here. And choose to worship God. Lay your heavy burden down. Jesus said, come to me. Those of you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. I want you to try and find that rest today. And there's a few families here at our church that are heavy on my heart. And I don't mean to embarrass anyone, but the Catterson family has been on my heart all week. The Murphy family. The Blair family. The Frazier family. There are others. If I've missed it, I'm sorry. You've been on my heart. And if you're carrying something heavy this morning, and you just need to relieve yourself of it, and you want to say, God, I can't take this fear and this worry anymore. I can't carry this burden. It's just too much for me. I'm just going to have you stand to your feet. Just stand up. Don't be afraid. If everybody was honest, we'd all be on our feet right now. I'm standing. Father, I thank you. I thank you for drawing our attention to the greatness and the supremacy of Jesus Christ. He not only went to the cross, he did that. And we thank you for that. He took bread, he broke the bread, he gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body which is broken for you. The body of Jesus was broken, it was pierced, it was crushed on that cross for me. For me. And he said, the blood that fills this cup of the new covenant it was shed for me, not just for everyone else. Say that, it was shed for me. It was shed for me. Father, I pray that you would touch those who are in some kind of trouble today. You are the God who heals us. I pray for Eric. I pray for Wally. Rick, Scott, and others, Lord, I bring them before you. I thank you that you are the God who's more than enough. 
You bring us to that place of acknowledging you, our King of kings and Lord of lords, so that we can worship you there. So we can live there, not have it a place that we visit, but a place that we know that we can put our trust in. And so, Lord, I pray that you administer to every person in this room in these closing moments. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's take the bread and the cup together. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.